Have you ever uh, found yourself at a store or been online looking at a product or products that you wish you had? Uh, maybe you've saved that spot online and you go to it frequently because you're like, well, I don't have enough money yet for that or if I just had that thing. Or maybe you go to a certain store and you like to go look at that one thing and you've been there about 10 times. Uh, do I buy it or not? Or if you had it. Um, watching children. And I'm sure I did this as a kid. Going to the store and going to the toy aisle. And it's like you're mesmerized. You've been, maybe you've seen something advertised. You see a friend who had that toy and you just have to have that. And then they buy that toy and then a few days later... Don't even play with it anymore. Or better yet, you go to the, some type of dollar store and you get it and you're so joyful about that dollar toy but it breaks before you get home. Last week, I was dealing with discontentment in my life. And what I mean by that, I was at a softball game watching my daughter play and I'm sitting in a chair with a family around, another brother in Christ from the church here. And as we're watching the game, I looked to my right and I noticed that one of the men of another family was sitting in this really awesome elevated chair watching the game. I was like, I need that. And I began to explain how this chair is not as good as that one. And my brother in Christ just corrected me. He's like, Pastor, you just preached on this last week about the joy of the Lord. And I was like, oh, woe is me. The next day, though, we came back and my hope, I'd already thrown away the idea of the chair. But then we took out all the chairs and one of them was broken. And I was like, yes, I need a new chair now. And I, I did not break the chair, just so you know. It would just happen to be broken, the providence of God. I was like, yes, I need that chair now. Uh, but not only the chair, I had helped this man that morning set up the canopy. Now, the canopy, you know, last week it was, you know, close to 100 degrees. You needed the canopy to watch the softball games. And the one he got was so cool because you just, you pull it out and you just push up the middle and it's perfect. We have a canopy, it's six years old, and it works great at keeping the shade out, but you, trying to pull this thing out, and then, you know, I had wrist surgery last year, so trying to snap these things in, I was like, oh, if I just had that canopy, I, my wrist would be better, I wouldn't have any pain with it. I'm like, oh, and they're selling it at Costco, it's on sale. And I was like, thinking about all these things, it's like, our canopy of six years old, completely fine, keeps the sun off the chairs that I was sitting in, completely fine, but I was discontent with what I had and I needed something better. Are you ever discontent with your life? Are you ever discontent with what you have? Sometimes it's uh, the stuff we have, we want something better or bigger we look at our homes, our vehicles, our bank accounts, our retirements. We want bigger and better. Even we want better relationships. Um, or sometimes we even think about our identity of who we are. We want something better. And what Paul teaches us from the text is that we must learn, as we were just singing, to trust in God's sovereignty and to trust in his sufficiency to provide for everything we need. And the good thing is as we grow uh, in our contentment in Christ, the natural response is to give generously to others. This morning, the scriptural truth from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20 is this. 
Finding contentment in life, regardless of our circumstances, is found only by trusting in Christ and his sufficiency to sustain us. Look with me at chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of God. Again, you are blessed. You are so blessed to have the words of the Lord God Almighty that you can open up, turn on, and read. And you're blessed even greater as a believer to have the Holy Spirit who gives you understanding. So, Father, again, we ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. As we look at this text today and we look at contentment, uh, let us look to verses 10 through 13. Paul says that contentment in all things is found in Christ. Contentment is found in Christ I was wondering this week, how would we live our lives if every single thing we wanted or think that we needed was given to us? How would your life be if every single thing you ever wanted in life was given to you, whether it be good or bad? Would we live a life of gratitude uh, to the Lord God Almighty? Would we be generous uh, with everything that we've been uh, given? Um, or would we not be grateful at all? Would we be looking for the next thing to uh, fill up happiness in our life? In verse 10, Paul says, from prison. So remember, he is in chains. He's in Rome. He's about 520 miles away from the church that's in Philippi, who he, is, he loves dearly. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's rejoicing and thankful that the church in Philippi, who, as we read, he's, they've helped him in the past. They've been generous and met uh, his needs for the past. And he's rejoicing and thankful now because there's a period of time that has gone by between he's, when he's had some type of communication with them. Uh, possibly now because he's in Rome, he's 520 miles away. It's not the easiest thing. You can't just jump in a car uh, in Philippi at that time and drive seven hours to get there. Uh, someone would have to have traveled to make it there. And he says, uh, you've revived your concern. It's an agricultural term to mean to grow green again or to flourish again or to spring up. 
And I was thinking this week, have you ever had a time in your life when you haven't heard from someone and you wondered if they still cared about you? You're like, man, I, I haven't got a letter from them or an email or a phone call. They haven't visited. I haven't seen them in such a long. And you begin to, to question if they even care for you at all. This is, it's not that he questioned that, but he's like, this time period that went by, that's a thing that can happen in the midst of that when you're longing and waiting for that. But he says, you revived your concern. Again, he says, not that you stopped caring for me, but there's this opportunity that had not happened yet. And so now this opportunity, as we've seen in the letter of Philippians, is Epaphroditus has been sent from the church with whatever gifts he brought to Paul uh, and to greet him and to take care of him. And he, this, this, this has now happened and this has revived the concern that Paul feels from the church in Philippi. <clears throat> He's uh, very thankful for the generosity of the church. And he also concludes in all of this that their generosity um, has been, and everything that has met his need is through the Lord God Almighty. So he points out God's sovereignty and God's providence here in using the, the church, in urging the church to send Epaphroditus and the gifts to meet uh, the needs that the Apostle Paul had in prison. <clears throat> In verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. If you've not read the book of Acts, read the book of Acts. The book of Acts has the, uh, contained in it a, a history of the early church, but also the Apostle Paul and all of his missionary journeys and what happened to him. And in that, uh, he was in prison a number of times, not just in Rome here. Uh, I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in which he gives a list of all the things that he went through after he was saved by faith in Christ alone. He then goes through these missionary journeys and faces a lot of trouble. First, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11 <clears throat> beginning in verse uh, 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Imagine if you had faced half of what the Apostle Paul went through. I mean, to be at sea adrift for uh, a, a long period of time is fearful enough. But to think of all the imprisonments, to think of him being beaten, to be lashed with whips, this was all done because he was spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of his love for Jesus Christ, his faith in Jesus Christ. This is why he went and did what he did, and yet he faced all of those troubles. But here to the church in Philippi, he says, I've learned to be content in all things. You're like, come on. Content in being in prison, content in all that. You're talking about being content when things are good, right? No, he says, 
in all situations or in whatever situation, or it can mean in every single situation. Can we today as a church, as believers, as followers of Christ, say with Paul, in every single situation, in whatever circumstance, I am content. Now, that doesn't mean that we're like, oh, I'm just happy and, and joyful all the time. No, we, we saw this already, as he said repeatedly, rejoicing in the Lord. There is grief in life. There is a sorrow in life. There are troubles in this world. Jesus told the disciples, in this world, you will have troubles. And so it doesn't say uh, in the midst of the horrible situations, you know, just cheer yourself up. No, it says to be content because God is sovereign and he directs all things to his glory. And as we studied the book of James, no matter what trial, whatever tribulation, whatever testing you go through, God has sent it, has given it to you so that he would bring you through it as he promised and grow you and, 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 and sanctify you in him. Can we, in whatever and in every circumstance, say, I am content? Now, if you're trying to say you're content in yourself, it will never, you'll never be content. That's why he says your contentment, his contentment is in Christ. If you can face whatever circumstance and say my contentment is in Christ, that's a good place to be because Christ will guide you throughout all of these circumstances. Now, here is a, a list of scriptural truths um, that should bring contentment to our hearts when I read these things in Scripture, this is for the believers. So if you are here and you've placed your faith in Christ, these following truths and understandings uh, of Christ um, are very important. Because he says he's learned. He says this twice. He says he's learned in these two verses here. He's learned to be content. The word content there means sufficient or adequate um, and, and this word learned, it's like when you're studying something and the light bulb goes on and you're like, oh, I totally get it now. Uh, this is what this picture of this sense. And I pray that these truths are what you do understand in Christ. And so when you come to faith in Christ, um, you now have an understanding and are growing in your understanding of Christ that was not there before. So here's a list of them. In Christ... We have received forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future, meeting the need that we have to be reconciled to God. In Christ, we have received redemption and deliverance from the power and bondage of sin. And so in Christ, he has met the need for our slavery of sin to be broken in Jesus Christ through faith in him. In Christ, we have received victory over sin and over death. And therefore, the believer has been promised eternal life, the hope of heaven, being with Christ for eternity, and he's promised to return. And so he's met that need of us having no hope for anything in life. We are justified by faith in Christ. Therefore, he meets the need that we have to be at peace with God. And so what do we mean by that? As a sinner and an enemy, a transgressor, someone who is against God, we are in need to be at peace with God. All who are not in Christ are at war with God, 
are enemies of God and have no peace in life. And so we have a great need for peace to be at peace with God. And therefore, when Christ died on the cross uh, in our place for our sins and his blood was shed, that we would be forgiven of our sins and that he rose from death to life, uh, conquering uh, death, that we have those things through faith in him. And God, who is the just judge, when he looks at the person who has faith in Jesus Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness. And therefore, we are justified that we are made right before the Lord God Almighty. Christ meets that need that you have to have peace with God. In Christ, we are adopted as children of God, and it meets the need that every person has before Christ of being an illegitimate child. In Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us to guide us and to empower us to live a godly life. Again, trying to live a holy, godly life in this world without the power of the Holy Spirit is impossible. And so your need to be guided and strengthened in this life to walk in holiness has been met in the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. In Christ, we receive wisdom, and we receive understanding, we receive provision, and we receive care. In Christ, we receive healing and restoration and comfort and encouragement. In Jesus Christ, we receive God's abundant grace and mercy. Do you need God's grace? Do you need God's mercy? We have a great need to have the compassion of God and undeserved favor, and it's found in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. Jesus intercedes on our behalf now as he's at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. And so he meets our need for support and defense constantly 24-7 as he prays for you. And do not forget, because Jesus is God, he always prays for you perfectly, and all of his prayers are always answered because he's God. In Christ, a believer's need for unity, for fellowship, are met in the body of Christ. And therefore, Christ meets all our needs. I mean, I just stopped at some of those. All of your needs in life are met in Jesus Christ. And from that comes contentment in all circumstances. And if you are here and you have no contentment in life, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've come into this place, you have no hope for life, all I can tell you, as Scripture says, is to believe in Jesus Christ, that He is Lord, that He is God, that He is Savior, that He died for you, that according to Scriptures, that He shed His blood for you to forgive you of your sins, and He rose from death to life and has ascended to heaven and He is returning one day. The Scriptures say to believe the scriptures say to confess with your mouth that he is Lord. I can't tell you steps to do. I can't tell you a worded prayer to say. Simply you need to call out like Peter when he was walking on the water and he began to sink. He prayed the most simplest prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up and they got into the boat. Call out to the Lord today to save you and he is the one who is the Lord of salvation and he does that work of saving these gospel truths that I just listed to you in the way that God meets all of the needs that you have in life, they lead to contentment. But here's our problem and our temptation. The temptation, which I face many times, is to complain. 
the temptation is to complain about everything and then give an excuse that, no, I'm really not uh, 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 complaining here. I'm just speaking the matters of fact or whatever it may be. It's like the story of Goldilocks when she goes into the place and it's like, this porridge is too hot and this porridge is too cold. Oh, but this one's just right. Or this bed is too hard and this one's too soft and oh, this one is just right. I know that I struggle with complaining. That line is too long. The room is too hot. The food is too cold. My car, it's way too uh, old. Uh, I, I, I need some newer technology. I need the next update. I lost that job. My dog died. Uh, I don't like how I look in the mirror. Uh, I don't have what he or she has. Oh, woe is me, the problems that I have. I'm never going to get out of this. I never got to go on that trip. They never came to visit me. And on and on and on and on. The complaining. Every time I complain, I'm basically saying I'm not content in Christ. That's the temptation. That's the battle that you're in. As you are waiting with hope, the return of Christ is to be content in Christ in this world. And yet, look at the world we live in. You have been raised in a consumeristic culture you have been raised by every advertisement, by, by the classes you've been in in school, by your communities that you've grown in, that you need something better. And so here's the next product, and here's the next one, and here's the next upgrade, and on and on and on. You have been, in a sense, programmed by the world that that is what you need. And Scripture says, no, you need Jesus. Our complaining is discontentment and our discontentment is really rebellion against God's providence and his provision in our lives it's a our, our, our complaining is a blindness to the truth that God has and that he will provide for us in all ways that we can't foresee and so sometimes God is providing for you things that you have of need you have no idea the way that he's working these things around until later and you're all complaining in between it's like I'm going Lord why is this why is this why is this and I get this like oh Sorry, Lord, forgive me. You were totally in charge of this the whole time. I, was, I just complained for the last six months of my life because of this, and you had a plan to do it at this point. And so again, you have those moments where believers were tested. We're tested in our faith. Am I going to be content in Christ, or am I going to complain because I don't have this? And again, as James, as I pointed out, going through those testing and through those trials and through those temptations... God will bring us through for his glory and he'll teach us anew. Proverbs 19 verse 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And as I reflected on that this week is, are we satisfied in the Lord? And if so, if you look at the last verse, will not be visited by harm? like, well, no, there is harm that happens. There is trouble in this world. Yes, there is problems, but for the believer, even as things are allowed that are troubles in our life, we still are satisfied in Christ. And therefore, our contentment uh, doesn't leave uh, uh, because it's found in Jesus Christ. 
Look at verse 12 here in the text. The, the second thing in this that he says that he's learned is the secret of facing abundance and need. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in, every, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I remember as a kid getting the small ice cream cone and seeing someone with the big ice cream cone, and even though I had the ice cream in my hands, I didn't want the little one, I wanted the big one. You ever faced that before or something? It's like, you've got this, you see them over there, they've got that. It's like, my pancakes weren't made as big as those ones. I don't have enough whipped cream on mine as yours. It's like, I don't have those things. And again, this is the temptations. We want bigger and greater things, and we think that that will fulfill us, that will make us happy, that will make us joyful, and all it is is a distraction for like, no, you're, you're joyful in Christ. You're content in Christ. We don't need anything more. But that's the battle we have. If you have been able to come to the point to learn to be content in all circumstances, like the Apostle Paul says, I'm like, you are blessed. The Holy Spirit is working, and, 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 and you're blessed to be able to be in that. Maybe many of us are not there yet, and we have contentment at times, and then we don't. We have contentment at times, and we don't. And we need to continue to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in us, and that whenever challenging time that you and I face in life that we would constantly be reminded God is in control God is in control God is in control God has a purpose for what he's doing what he's allowing God has a plan in these things that you're experiencing because if God's word tells us that God is completely just completely holy and he's always a hundred percent right he is a hundred percent right every single time then we should be clinging to that truth and be content in all of its circumstances. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I'm always amazed when you see different things that you read about and someone wants to be buried with something because they think that they can take it with them. Uh, I remember as a kid reading a lot of things about uh, the pharaohs of Egypt and what was placed in those tombs with them is everything that they were going to take into the afterlife. I mean, even their pets. I mean, not only the boats and this somewhere, but food. Even servants that they would take supposedly into the afterlife. I remember one time reading an article about a guy back east somewhere that he wanted to be buried in his Cadillac so that he could drive his Cadillac in the afterlife. And I thought, it's just a Cadillac. This world believes false things that they can take with them. That all these things that you amass for yourself, and it's taken away in a moment. We need to be reminded of John chapter 15 daily. In John chapter 15, it talks about abiding in Christ and Christ in us. As we abide in him and his word, 
then we're reminded, as we were just studying in Philippians the last couple weeks, to set our minds on things above, renewing our minds, those things there. As we read the Word of God, then the truths of God will be upon our minds. And even though we still battle with our minds wandering in discontentment, the, the Holy Spirit will bring these scriptures and work in us. Look at verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some of you have that on a coffee cup or a piece of artwork. You may even have it on a tattoo. There are Christian um, uh, athletes that I've seen them printed on, uh, uh, either, either have a tattoo or they print on a helmet or something like that. And, and here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with clinging to that verse and memorizing that verse and having some artwork or tattoo or whatever those things on that verse. But here's the problem. We single out that verse from the rest of the context of what he's writing. And so all we do is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I'm going to hit a home run because he strengthens me to do that. I'm going to get an A on this test because he strengthens me to do this. I'm going to get this work project done. I'm going to get these things out. I'm going to get all these things just because he strengthens me. And what happens is we're adding something to what scripture doesn't say. Now, yes, we are to dedicate everything we do for the glory of God. And yes, the Holy Spirit empowers us and moves us and directs us uh, to be able to do things in life for the glory of God. But when you read verse 13, apart from everything he just read, you miss the point. Because he just laid out all the trouble that he's been in. If you go back even the last few weeks, it's all connected here. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Then, therefore, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's trying to drive home the point that your contentment is in Christ and the contentment will come through him strengthening you. Not to strengthen you to do something greater for his glory, which he still does, but the point of the text here is in the context of this chapter and in this letter. And he's been laying out these truths and he gets to these uh, uh, things to, to lay out and to follow by. And he says, all of these things can be done through Christ who strengthens me. And so you should rejoice in that because that is a promise of God for the believer. And so let us pray that the Holy Spirit would, would, would make our hearts and our minds content in all circumstances. Look at verses 14 through 18. Contentment in Christ then inspires generous giving. Contentment in Christ leads to the believers, the followers of, of, of God, who are then generous with what he has given them. He says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So he points out how they have met his needs in the past. This church has been a faithful church in Philippi to give to the gospel uh, 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 mission. They have supported Paul at different times when, he says, when no one else did. There was no other churches that were supporting uh, Paul and the gospel work, but the church in Philippi did. The church in Philippi, as he points out in another letter, gave out of their poverty so that they, he could have his needs met. And it was obviously the Lord directing them and guiding them in that. 
But this church, just as we read last week and the week before as he listed um, uh, the, the, the believers by name, says they're partners in the gospel ministry, the whole body of Christ He's, he points out here, is partners in the gospel ministry of the gospel because they gave. And so Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. He's been declaring the gospel all these places. And the church of Philippi, in one sense, is right there with him because they've been meeting his need. Yes, they are also declaring the gospel in the city of Philippi. They're being a light in the darkness. But he points out that their generosity towards him are meeting his needs. Now, if you look at a person as a prisoner in Rome at that time, the prisoner would need someone to meet their needs. Family members, friends, other believers, someone would have to bring them the things they need. In one of his other letters, he tells them to send his cloak because it was cold. He needed to be warm. <clears throat> He points out these needs are being met by their generosity. And so this is what I see from Scripture. This is what I've seen in the church. This is what I've seen in my life. Uh, that um, as we are content in Christ, and we realize every way that we've been blessed in Christ, we want to be generous towards others. We want to be generous with our finances, we want to be generous with serving, with our, our gifts, our time. Uh, that, that, I mean, think about Epaphroditus. He traveled 520 miles walking to get to Rome, gave of his time, gave of his life to the point that they thought he, he was going to die. He got sick. But he traveled that, taking this gift from the church, being generous with his life and time so that Paul's uh, needs could be met while in prison. That's to be... Uh, the joy that we have in Christ, to be generous. Paul tells us, he, you know, he doesn't in the New Testament tell us, you must give 10%. People ask me that for years. Pastor, how much should a believer tithe? And I'm like, well, the word tithe there, the word offering, there, those, that's, not a, that's an Old Testament term. If we want to follow the Old Testament law, then everyone should give more than 30% uh, to, to, to help with the gospel ministry. And some of you chuckle, you're like, yeah, 30%, good luck, Pastor. This is that thing, it's like, no, Paul says, just give generously and to give joyfully. Don't be one of those things where you're just like, you're giving it and you're like trying to hold on to it. That's the attitude that's opposite. I mean, if you cannot give joyfully, if you cannot give generously the way that he does it, then it's almost like, don't give. And I can hear some of you right now, pastor, don't tell people that. There's a ministry here at the church. But honestly, to be truthful with you, you're told to give generously and joyfully. If you can't do that, you need to examine your heart. And it leads back to contentment. And if we're content in Christ, the joy of the Lord is wells up in us. And we just desire to do that and bless other people. Verse 17 is important because you might just pass over it. But he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He makes, he goes out of his way to make sure that he's, he's, he's thanking them for their generosity, but he's not going out there and, and demanding it or asking it of them. Uh, we live in a world today, especially if you turn on certain TV evangelists, they're expecting the viewers to give generously and beyond generously so that those pastors uh, can be funded well and those pastors can have uh, uh, all the money in the world. 
And that's why you um, filter things through the scriptures. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. What we see the church doing of Philippi is what Jesus writes of in the Sermon on the Mount in verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also And so as the church in Philippi are giving to the need of Paul and probably to others in their city and around, they're they're storing up treasures in heaven because of what they're doing as they minister to one another. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Chapter 12, Jesus is there in the temple and he points this out um, to the disciples. It says in verse 41 of Mark 12, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What you see is that that woman trusted in the Lord God Almighty for everything that she needed. I mean, I'll be honest. To think of taking my last dollar and giving it, not knowing where things are going to be provided for for my family is a challenging thought. To think that I would empty out whatever I have and give that for whatever the Lord is directing in and then to wait and trust on Him, I just say it's a challenging thought. That's why we need Jesus' words to read in the Sermon on the Mount that He provides for, for His people. He provides for the, He feeds the birds of the air, church. So why would He not care for you whom He cares for and loves so much? Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is is vanity. And we see this every day, day in and day out throughout the world. Verse 18, Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He says that not only are they generous, Not only are they meeting his needs, but what they are doing is an act of worship. As they are giving, when he says it's a fragrant offering, he's referring back to the book of Exodus. And as the, the, in, the, in the temple, there would be an offering uh, daily uh, 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 of incense that would burn and it would go up as a sweet aroma to the Lord. We read of scripture where it talks about our worship of God, our life and the way that we follow after him is a pleasing aroma to the Lord God Almighty. And so he points out that their generosity towards him Um, is a pleasing aroma. I think part of our problem, though, sometimes is we wonder, how much did that person give? How much should I really give? We begin to question, should I serve doing that? 
Should I give to this thing? Should I go over here and do that? And, and again, we begin to question. And what we need to do is go back to the truths of God, rest in our contentment in Christ, and pray and say, Lord, how would you direct me to meet this need of this person, this ministry, the church, of whatever this may be? And it may just be, yeah, give this, serve this way, but it also may just be open your mouth and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ because their need is Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's look briefly at these last two verses in Philippians chapter 4. It says in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The third point here and the final one in this last few minutes is contentment in Christ and generous giving is grounded in God's provisions. First and foremost, in salvation in Christ but also in every need that you have and how God meets those spiritually and physically. <clears throat> in 2010, and I've probably shared this with you before, I'll just briefly say, our family faced a transition in the ministries that I was at at that time. And coming up to a point, I was, I, I was, I was told six months ahead of time, another pastor was as well, so we knew ahead of time, and yet it came to a day and a moment in time not knowing how I would provide for my family financially. I had no job the next morning. We were not leaving the church that we were at, but the church could not afford all the pastors that they had on staff. And I went home, and there was a phone call from a man at the church that was connected to these people. And on and on, he says, show up at the hospital tomorrow morning. And I was hired on the spot and started training. I went less than 24 hours without a job. Now, that job was not paying what I was already being paid before. It was a minimum wage job. But then that next weekend, there was a thank, uh, thank, whatever, uh, a lunch that they did for the two pastors, uh, myself, that were um, laid off at that time. And so the church did a lunch and someone gave us a box and we went home that day and we opened up and, I, and, and just thousands of dollars from individuals in the church in cards just saying thank you had no idea where we're at financially, and that gift, that huge gift with the minimum wage lasted all the way until the week I started uh, months later at the end of the year at a new position at a church. Praise God, and all the while I doubted every day. The pastor Pastor Dave, who's been here before to preach, he's like, hey, you're going to go, you need to go to Africa. We need something. I'm like, no, I, I don't have a job next month. I can't go to Africa. And he goes, yeah, you need, to you need to go to Africa. I need another pastor to go train these other pastors. I'm like, there's no way. I got to look for a job during that time. Uh, and he said, well, go home. You know, he says, you need $150 more. I'm like, I, I tell my wife, I'm like, $150 tomorrow. And she said, well, we'll just see what happens tomorrow and pray. And I show up, $150. Pastor goes, oh, someone paid for it. I'm like, yeah, you probably paid for it. I asked him, going to Africa. He said, go get your shots, go get those stuff. And he says, sit down right now and write an email to everyone on your list. All the Christians and all the non-Christians. All the non-Christians, you got to tell them what you're doing. And so I write this email, send it out, and it was like four days or maybe five days, $3,700 was given, and I only needed $3,600. 
I'm like, I'm going to Africa. All the while doubting, while I'm in Africa, doubting and doubting, doubting throughout the summer while I'm working at the hospital, doubting, doubting, doubting. And it's like, I get through all this. And then you look back and it's like, oh, my family never went hungry. God provided every single thing we needed. Now we're serving here at a new body of Christ in Montebello, California, and God is faithful. And I'm reminded of that when it says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Let me ask you this as we close this morning. <clears throat> Are you in need do you have needs today do you have physical needs do you have financial needs do you have relationship needs do you have identity needs all of those things can be met in Jesus Christ the greater needs though are your spiritual needs if you're here living in darkness you need Jesus you need to be saved by the blood of Christ, that you would be with him forever, that you'd be forgiven of your sins. If you're already in Christ, you need the Holy Spirit to continually work in your life daily so you're reminded that God, who has all the riches and the glory, he's already provided for all your needs, and therefore you can be content in him today. Paul says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I pray that our hearts are filled with contentment and that we can declare with Paul that he supplies for all of our needs and that all the glory would go to him. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to never forget that Jesus Christ is our prize, that Jesus Christ is our treasure. Help us to be grounded in the truths of the gospel this morning that we would be found content in all aspects of life, whatever circumstances that come. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room, those struggling and tempted to complain, those who are wondering how this bill will be paid this week, those who are wondering how this need is going to be met those who are struggling with health conditions that they see no healing for. Father, I pray for the believers in this room that are um, struggling with wanting something bigger and better and greater things. Father, for all of us, including myself, would you stir in us your truths of Jesus Christ and the gospel and that Christ is sufficient, that Jesus sufficient for all our needs. We praise you, Jesus. We give you thanks for dying for us. And we praise you because you are risen. You are alive. And as we await your return, we pray that you would empower us to walk in your ways with joyfulness and contentment in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.